conversations you care about with people you know. This is the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe on WKKX and WVLY. Brought to you by WVU Medicine. Well, look who's coming through the door. I think we've met somewhere before. Hello, love. Hello there. Hello, love. Where in the world have you been so long? I missed you so since you've been gone. Hello, love. Hello, love. Make yourself feel right at home. I hope you plan on staying long. Come in, love. Come on. Come on in. Sit down. Come spend some love. time with us. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or morning tea or, I don't know, if you come off third shift, you can grab a beer. Whatever it is you want to be having as your morning beverage this morning, join Slider and I. I see you have uh, – I hate to – I don't want to call you out here, pal, but uh, you switched back to Pepsi. I got problems, Howard. I'm really struggling, and I'm saying don't worry about it too much because Groundhog Day is two weeks away, and that's going to be the date that I – I change it all around, Howard. Well, so, so quit tempting me with the Pepsi. But Ground, Groundhog Day is the day that you keep on doing the same thing over and over again. And so that would mean you drink more Pepsi. Anyway, no, I just happened to notice you were back on the Pepsi. Uh, 38, did I give you the temperatures? 38, Wheeling, Ohio County Airport, moving up a little bit. 34 at the Highlands, 31 degrees in Elm Grove, and 34 here at the Watchdog Radio Network Studios. It's 811. 11 after the hour. Uh, coming up, my friend Tom Scateri will talk about some of the national and political stories around the uh, the country and the international stories as well. Um, coming up in the next hour of the show, we'll talk about the U.S. Senate race in Ohio. We have spent uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about the Senate race in West Virginia, the race for the seat currently being held by Joe Manchin, but which will no longer be held by Joe Manchin because he's chosen not to run for re-election. But uh, we haven't really talked at all about the fact that one of the second biggest watched races in the country is right across the river in Ohio, where Sher- Sherrod Brown is considered to be a big target of the Republicans. Uh, three Republican candidates uh, for the uh, U.S. Senate nomination held a debate last night. I watched it. nutbags. I mean, but uh, Nick Evans comes in from the Ohio Capital Journal, and he will ho- hopefully offer a more unbiased opinion on that. That's coming up in the next hour. And also from the Ohio Capital Journal in a minute or two, we'll talk with uh, Susan Tevin. Susan uh, has written a story in Ohio. They're talking about paying students to stay in school. Uh, Absenteeism is a real problem all across the country. Uh, And um, in Ohio, it's a big problem. And so one of the ideas, a bipartisan idea, is to uh, pay students to stay in school. We'll talk about that. It's all coming up here on the Watchdog Morning Show. Uh, Some of the students at Youngstown State University yesterday, Bob, did not stay in school. You're kidding. No. Yesterday was former Congressman Bill Johnson's first day on the job as Youngstown State University president, as you are aware, because we have talked about it over and over again. Uh, his selection was um, not pleasing to... They all hate him up just there. Just everybody, come to think of it. Uh, the faculty, the students, the, uh, the, uh, the donors, the alumni, uh, former presidents, they all said, what the hell are you doing hiring this guy with no background? And uh, it's purely politics. 
So his first day on the job as a uh, president yesterday was met with protests from. Did he bring donuts, Howard? I don't think he brought any donuts. Uh, I don't. I'm, I'm looking at some pictures here. I see bullhorns and signs, but I don't see. Let me just check here. No, I'm pretty sure I don't see any uh, any donuts here. Um, they're gonna. This will go on for a while. There was a lot of complaining and protesting. Uh, and I don't know. I have heard almost nobody say it's a good decision, but they'll keep it. The board, the board of trustees will not change their mind. I hope you're wrong because we've, we've been talking about this for weeks now. All the noise is good, but when the donors start saying, you know what, well, you're done, that might make the difference. But you're right, Howard. It probably is a lot for nothing. Um, I think the, the board of trustees, they voted, what, eight to one? I think that was it. Maybe it was eight to two. No, I think it was eight to one. Um, they just said, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, we're, we're in charge. We'll pick what we want. Hell with you. That's what they've said. Um, remember, that a former university president at Youngstown State had asked Governor DeWine to fire the board of trustees. He said, they're not doing their job. I bring this guy in. He said, nah, you know, it's all right. It's okay. Bill Johnson's okay. Yeah, but we talked about it on, on different issues. Ohio, the state of Ohio, is right now, to me, just doing whatever they want. They want what they whoever is in power, they're doing exactly what they want. Right, and and that certainly has been the case here at Youngstown State University. Dewine earlier this week compared Johnson's uh, hiring to that of Jim Tressel's, saying Tressel didn't have any academic background either. Yeah, but Tressel was had, a coach. He was he, around. He, he catch a, 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 Tressel had collegiate background. He knew what a university was all about. He'd been on campus a couple times. And, uh, yes, ex- exactly. So I think that was a mistake. And then the, stu- the students were really upset among they were upset about everything. But also, uh, Bill Johnson is bringing some of his old staff from Congress with him to staff out at Youngstown State University. Their salaries, are, they're complaining about the salaries. Salaries aren't that bad. One of them is going to make 170000 a year, which is actually— How much? Hundred and seventy. I'm never going to be close to that, Howard. So that is a big number. It, but it's not in terms of college administrators. It's not. Look at the. You got people down at WVU in the two hundred thousand dollar plus range. I mean, I, it's not a huge salary. It's a little bit more than the previous one was making, but not much more than that. Um, so, anyways, that's the story out of Youngstown at the moment. Uh, he's on the job. He's on the job. Bill Johnson is. And now, the question is. Will he stay there? My my strong guess is absolutely yes. All right, Tom Scateri is coming up next, our uh, our Pentagon poet, so to speak. We'll be talking about uh, some of the national and international stories. That's next on the Watchdog Morning Show. Is your business protected from cyber threats? In today's world, it's more important than ever to have a cybersecurity plan in place. But with so many different solutions out there, it can be hard to know where to start. That's where Omni Strategic Technologies comes in. We're a technology support firm with a strong focus on cybersecurity. We have a team of local experts who can help you assess your risks, develop a plan, and implement the right tools to serve and protect your business. If you want to get serious about cybersecurity, choose Omni Strategic Technologies for the peace of mind knowing that your business is protected and prepared. Why? Just think about it. Why is the number one selling brand of chainsaws not sold at Lowe's or the Home Depot? We can give you over 10,000 reasons. That's how many authorized local steel dealers you can find across the country. Visit one and you'll find a range of dependable gas and battery powered tools from trimmers to blowers. And you'll find service from experienced professionals. Real Steel. Find yours at SteelUSA.com. 
Lowe's and Home Depot are trademarks of their respective companies. Trio and Stack Auction Service. We sell the earth and everything on it. From estates to business liquidation, antiques, coins, firearms, real estate, and more. We're also certified appraisers. Trio and Stack can handle it all. Call us now for a free outside consultation. 304-233-3168. Or visit FrioAndStack.com. Licensed in West Virginia, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. Frio and Stack Auction Service. We sell the earth and everything on it. Menards has it all for keeping your pets happy and healthy. We offer everything from food and treats to our huge selection of toys, bowls, leashes, collars, and more. Harina Pro Plan Chicken and Rice Dog Food provides your pets with outstanding nutrition plus exceptional taste. It's made with high-quality protein, including real chicken, as the first ingredient. Pick up a 35-pound bag of Harina Pro Plan Dog Food for only $69.48. Price is good through January 28th. Save big money at Menards. Broadcasting from the Ohio Valley, talking about the Ohio Valley. We're live and local. This is the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe. Brought to you by WVU Medicine. Our poetry you man every Tuesday is our Pentagon poet. Tom Scateri is here with us. Good morning, Tom. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you this morning? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. Um, you know, all things considering. Anytime, you know, in Washington, D.C., you never know how the day is going to unfold. <laughs> and, of course, this is, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I suppose whether you're in D.C. or anywhere else, if politics That's is your true. game, you're watching the New Hampshire primary today. Did they have that early vote today, that Dixieville Yeah, Knox? they did. I, I, think all, I think there were six voters left in there, and I'm not trying to be snide. It's a small village. On all six, whoever it was, the number, they all voted for Nikki Haley. Oh, okay. Interesting. So... I don't know. You know, I was trying. I didn't have enough time, and I apologize. I was kind of curious to see what the what the rate is. You know, of who wins that who wins that little town, and then who wins the primary. And I know in the past it it has gone both ways. Like McCain won, and then he won the prime. You know, primary a couple years later, but not against. But you know, so it's not a great barometer, but it's always a lot of fun. There was a second town up there, Howard. His name escaped me. And they, all the residents moved away, you know, so they don't do it anymore. No, no, no voting there, I guess. All right. No. <laughs> um, that's that's interesting. I usually the 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 story is that the the winner in Dixieville Notch supposedly is the winner of the primary. All oh, that's not universally true. I think West Wing did a did an episode about that too, about Dixieville Notch. Probably, to get, yeah. Trying Probably, to get, yeah. Trying to get the voters there. So, uh, but uh, so uh, and Haley won that. Is that correct? Yeah, let me see. I'm looking it up now. All, yep, six. I was correct. All six eligible voters, wow. four registered Republicans and two undeclared voters, voted for Haley. Interesting. So all six. At midnight, they voted like 12.01, you know, as soon as it's Tuesday. Yeah. It says, oh, I was correct. I was actually correct, Howard. Uh, has not predicted the outcome of the primary since 2008 when McCain won the village, the primary, and the nomination. So it's not been it's not been the bellwether since two thousand and eight. No, no. But prior to that, apparently, it was pretty good. You know, so. Well, yeah. it's probably some one the wrong person left town, and after that, the things just things went. <laughs> just <laughs> went, went down. Yeah. This primary, without talking about the politics of it just yet, it is interesting. Um, we had a couple of folks on. Uh, former New Hampshire uh, Congressman Paul Hodes was on with us earlier mm-hmm. this week, and. Uh, 
uh, his chief of staff, uh, Matt Robeson. And so we're trying to get a feel for how New Hampshire works because I've been up there. I broadcast from there one year during a primary, but not mm-hmm. real familiar with it. I guess the key to making that primary different is the unaffiliated voters that can switch, that can vote, vote with either party. Yep, that's one of the states where uh, independents, or actually, uh, you know, they can cross in and vote. And so, you know, a couple states have open primaries where anybody can vote in either the Democratic or Republican primary. You just have to go and declare which one. But that's a big thing in New Hampshire. Um, I did cover my work for two Massachusetts newspapers as a Washington correspondent. We I'd go up there and join in on our coverage. And I, you know, it was a very interesting state. And well, I found good about it among the many things is that because there are smaller gatherings and the the voters really take their pride in what they do whether it's a skewed result for the rest of the country or not they really ask good questions you know and they're they're tough and they don't let people get away with sort of like blather which i admired a lot Um, i will say however it's often (laughs) it's a very difficult primary to cover because of the weather and other elements um i think it was one year where Bush was running, it could have been against Reagan or against Dole, I don't remember which one now, I'm sorry, but there's a big snowstorm, and, and Governor Sununu, not the current one, but the, his dad, um, he uh, he ordered all the snowplows out to get people, you know, Bush supporters there and people to the polls. I mean, it's a very interesting story. The um, Nikki Haley is, is doing better than I thought. Um, she Could she win this primary? She could win the primary. I'm not making a prediction here. Uh, she could also lose it badly, uh, or it could be somewhere in between. Uh, you know, uh, DeSantis's exit helps Trump a lot because um, those would be Trump voters for the most part. And if they vote, they'll vote for Trump. They're not going to vote for Haley. Yeah, Christie left, but he didn't. He had some support in New Hampshire, his best state. That could help Haley. Uh, th- those are the you know those are the ones I'm watching. Uh, she needs probably to have a win here. Uh, or close, pretty close to Trump before they go to South Carolina, which I think is next. Um, yeah, otherwise, it's incredible to me, you know, uh, Trump, for all of, I know you're dislike of Trump, and, you know, there's a lot of reasons to not like him and what he threatens to do. However, once in a while he does say something that makes, um, you know, sense. Really? And is, well, yeah, he says, you know, that everyone's coalescing against, coalescing around one person, and they are. Now, that's the Republican Party of today, which is a Trump party. So the question is whether Haley, who's not particularly a moderate Republican, let's remember that, right. can just pick a, pick a few votes away to make it competitive in New Hampshire. What astounds me, Howard, is that, you know, South Carolina, which is, I think, as I said, the next stop, Tim Scott, the senator who was running, who she appointed to the Senate when there was a vacancy, endorsed Trump. Nancy Mace, a member of Congress from South Carolina who Haley supported and who Trump attacked and ran someone against uh, two years ago, she supports Trump. So Haley's not even getting support from people in her own state in a critical primary coming up. So it's difficult for me to see how she pulls this off. But isn't that because most people in the Republican Party fear Trump? You don't, oh, yeah. you don't endorse him or you endorse someone else, God help you, uh, he'll come out, he'll first of all call you funny names, and secondly, uh, make sure that other people run against you and drive you out of office. Well, yeah, that's the, you're absolutely correct about that, and that's sort of the conundrum that the Republicans created for themselves by not denouncing him or not opposing him, which is, you know, be fair, politically opposing him and strong. They've let him have this power. Now it's sort of 
gotten to that point where if you do stand up to him or oppose him, uh, you feel his wrath, and it is considerable, that wrath. I mean, look, as you said, I do not like Donald Trump. I believe he ought to be in prison. I certainly think the country should not have him around. I, that, that He's a cancer on our democracy. I don't like him. Um, but I, 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 I don't see I don't see any way he is denied the nomination. And then we go down to, you know, the general election with, as you and I have talked before, a not particularly energizing Joe Biden on the Democrat side of things. Yeah. And, but you know, you're, you're going back to one point before we talk about that. Uh, you know, I do cover the Pentagon, and I, I get a lot of feeds from people overseas, leaders and other people. And they're very concerned about Trump being elected again uh, because of the damage it could do to NATO, for example, which is a critical point in what's happening in Ukraine now, as well as other parts of the world where uh, the U.S. needs a deft hand. Now, I'm not saying Biden has provided that, but... This is just a report from overseas. But you're right about Biden. Uh, I mean, um, the energy, I, there was an interesting story. You know, we, we follow some of the same feeds, Howard, and it was about Senator, I'm sorry, Congressman Clyburn of South Carolina, who was instrumental in helping Biden win the primary, uh, you know, uh, for when he was seeking nomination in South Carolina. And that's now the first designated Democratic primary. Listeners may not realize this, but the New Hampshire primary today, even though the Democrats have one, it's not considered an official vote, and there's no delegates that will be afforded from that, whoever wins that. Biden's not even on the ballot in New Hampshire. He's pushed to have... They're they're trying a writing campaign for him, aren't they, though? That's correct, yeah. But South Carolina is the first official Democratic primary, and Clyburn said in this interview that he's doing the same thing he did before, all out, letting people know what Biden has done. He says Biden hasn't sold the story well enough, energizing African-American voters, which is a big part of Biden's constituency four years ago when he defeated Trump. And so you're right, this energizing for Biden is underway. But if anybody was getting energized for him, I read a CNN piece where, uh, you know, talk about dirty tricks being played. Apparently there are robocalls going around New Hampshire with either it may be an AI created voice or else a Biden impersonator calling and saying, hi, I'm Joe Biden, to the Demo- calling Democrats, saying, hi, I'm Joe Biden. Um, you don't have to go to the polls and vote for me in this race. Sa- save your vote for November. Don't bother to go and vote. Um, it doesn't make a lot of difference because you know, who's going to win Democrat primary in New Hampshire is no big deal. But it is an indication of how dirty the dirty tricks can get these days. Yeah, and it's very easy to do it. You know, it's, it's, it's a long you know, people made a big deal about how the Nixon campaign messed around in New Hampshire in 72 in the Democratic primary. And that's like chicken feed tricks now compared to what you can do with AI and all sorts of images and, and this and that. It's terrible, and it's a big danger to the election because we know how people believe whatever they see now. And these faked images, fake if that's the true fake news, you know, the faked images, spoof mm-hmm. images, they're going to convince people whatever they want to believe. Let's talk about a couple of international stories. That's your bailiwick. Um, Defense Secretary Austin is hosting a meeting of the Ukrainian Defense Contract Group today. What the hell is that? Yeah, that should have been underway about at 8 o'clock our time. Uh, that's the group that Austin helped form, the contact group. Um, it's a group of about 50-some nations that have come together to help Ukraine 
to supply it with weapons and other and other things that you know. Uh, sorry, my dogs at a bark now because there's somebody outside. Um, so I'll go outside and wish you, where you won't hear her bark. That's all right. Um, we don't mind dogs okay. on the show. Okay. And so um, he's uh, he's home, by the way. He's still home because you know he was out of the hospital. Yeah. So he's doing this virtual meeting, which they have done virtual meetings of this group before, by the way. They're not always in person. And this comes at a time when the United States has no money to offer. Uh, the last time they did this was actually on the trip with Austin in October in Brussels, and he didn't have any new money then, even though we had still money in the bank. There was nothing passed. There's no money now for the United States to send Ukraine weapons now. Okay, so he's going to be in the awkward position of goading and you know others to say, "Come on, come on, dig deep in your pockets." That's one of his favorite lines. We need to help Ukraine when basically his pockets are empty. Tom, I want to talk about, I've been concerned about, um, it seems as if our forces are getting more actively involved in some of these battles over there. Uh, mm -hmm. Fighter jets have attacked some of the Houthi forces, I think, just this week uh, and have in the past. I worry that we're getting drawn deeper and deeper, physically drawn deeper and deeper into some of this stuff. We are. And you know, the Pentagon doesn't want to admit that uh, we're at war with anybody, we're fighting anybody. It's all defensive actions, taking steps to protect our, ourselves, which in part of it is true. However, you know, this thing with the Houthis, for example, the Houthis, uh, who are supported by Iran, and there's no secret about that, they alleged that they were attacking ships because they were supporting the Hamas in Gaza. So they're only attacking ships with... Israeli connections. Well, that's out the door now. And they're attacking all sorts of ships, including U.S. military ships, which the Pentagon reluctantly admitted yesterday. Okay? So your ships are under attack. You're responding by shooting down missiles. And now we're conducting uh, attacks on, the, on Houthi positions in Yemen. We had this briefing last night, Howard, at um, 6 o'clock. And uh, one of the other reporters asked a question about uh, you know, is this related to the shipping? No, no, no. These are two sort of distinctive operations that uh, there's the protecting of the ships, okay, which is this sort of loose international coalition. And then there's this offensive action that's categorized as taking defensive protection. Basically, the U.S. and U.K. carrying out the strikes with a couple other countries supplying support, which the Pentagon won't disclose. They name the countries as they ask them. So, to me, that's a conflict where you're going in and bombing people and taking out things. And uh, the, the guys on the ships at one point were awarded medals for being in combat, okay, even though it's a defensive. So, you know, it's very it, – they're playing with words here. Yeah, it, listen, if, if, you, if you give people medals for being in combat, you can't say it's not – we're not involved in a war. That's right. That's right. I mean, that's And just... part of the problem, you know, when, when the first strikes against the Houthis were taken uh, last week, there was bipartisan concern. Um, that Biden needed to, you know, invoke the War Powers Act uh, to do this. And, and the Pentagon and the White House used the defense that we were just defending ourselves and not conducting an offensive military operation, as you're pointing out. Still, it's... Uh, it, 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 honest, words, Howard. It, yes, they're, they're just words, and the actions are what really bother me. Every time I pick up... Uh, well, I don't pick up a newspaper anymore every time I look online <laughs> and read a headline about, you know, we have uh, attacked, whether it's defensive or offensive, somebody else. I keep thinking, are we getting dragged deeper and deeper into this? And I worried about this when the Ukrainian war began. Now we've got the Mideast, uh, the Israel-Gaza thing growing. 
Iran is directly involved with the Houthis. I just worry. Uh, I think you need. Uh, there's a distinction. Uh, I'm going to make a distinction between the Ukraine war and what's going on in the Middle East. Uh, I think that of the two, the Middle East is much more dangerous for the United States to get sucked into. Uh, Ukraine, the United States is fervently not going to, at least, you know, as of today, put troops in into Ukraine, and no one really, no one other than extremists think that that's going to happen. Um, NATO doesn't want to get into a ground war there, and one could argue the United States is not doing enough, that they're just giving Ukraine enough to stay in the fight, not to win. But, you know, they put restrictions on what Ukraine can use with the weapons. It's a whole different different scenario in the Middle East, because this, Iran is back them, and Iran's, you know, hitting Israel and the United States and others in Syria and Iraq. Okay, those proxies. Yemen, we see. Hamas, obviously, and the Hezbollah. That's four Iranian proxy groups that are hitting the United States and in, in Israel, in the case of, you know, Gaza and, and elsewhere. So that's a big deal. And there's also, of course, Iranian ships that are trying to seize um, stuff in the Gulf. U.S. ships interdicted, interdicted, excuse me, a ship the other day carrying illegal Iranian weapons. So I think that is the area that has the most dangerous fuse being close to lit. How's that for mixed metaphors? Yeah, <laughs> but I, I, I get it. I, it's embarrassing for someone like me whose job is to stay on top of all this stuff, not as much as you, but for, I try to stay on top of this. You know, I almost forgot about Ukraine. I was watching the U.S. Senate debate between the Republican candidates in Ohio last night, yeah. and Ukraine and the Mideast came up, and it was like I hit my head. I was like, oh, yeah, Ukraine is still out there, too. It's, it almost has kind of fallen a bit off our radar screen these yeah. days. It's, bad. it's getting bad for Ukraine. I mean, they're running in ammunition, and Russia now has an influx of ammunition from North Korea, so, you know, their meat grinder continues. Back to what we were just talking about. Yesterday at the earlier briefing, uh, the Pentagon said there's at least 151 attacks, 151 attacks, Howard, on bases used by the United States military in Iraq and Syria since October 17th. That's 11 more in the last week when we last got a number. And, you know, it's about two a day over the last, you know, four days or six days. So, you know, this is, this is not like a one-offer. This is 151 attacks. And what's the point? What is the intent? Is it to drag us deeper into this conflict? I mean, I, I, under, I hear the words they're saying that they believe that we're, you know, providing whatever. But, I mean, what's, what's the real point of it? What's the real intent of those attacks? I think it's a good, that's a good question. I, I look at it. Iran is really pushing, pushing the envelope. They, they want to see what they can do to destabilize the United States. They want, in part, to get U.S. troops out of Iraq, okay? And so they're trying to work on the Iraqi government to vote to have to disinvite U.S. troops from there. Um, they want the United States out of the region, okay? And they don't, they don't believe uh, their gamble is that the United States will go beyond a certain point in retaliating, okay? In other words, we're not going to hit Iran. And they and now the only one they're worried about Israel hitting them, of course, because Israel will hit them if they feel they have to. But I think it's you know you, you got to and the Pentagon refuses to tie it together. They need to see it as a and maybe they do and then on the minute a constant concerted effort by Iran, wherever it can hit the United States and its allies to weaken U.S. resolve, create political divisions here, to make it not worth the price, to show the U.S. is inept, whatever. Uh, they're in a strong position, Iran, because they have proxies all over the region who they've armed and are willing to die. Tom, I have to move on, but you, yeah. I, there's always something interesting and fun that you share with me, and I, 
I try. I, I can't. <laughs> I, I just. I got to ask this. What the hell is China building? I don't know what China's building, but I thought this is an interesting fact as well. Uh, uh, for listeners, this comes from Scientific America, and they somehow, for some reason, tried to figure out. You know, looked at China. And they said that China used more cement in three years, that's the years 2011 through 2013, so we're talking a while ago, than the United States used in the entire 20th century. China so used China more used, cement in three years than the United States used in the entire 20th century. Right, 6.6 gigatons, whatever that is. Okay. I don't know. And we use 4.5 gigatons. Now, granted, you know, cement may not have been used in 1901 or 1902 like it is today, but still... A hundred years, isn't that incredible? <laughs> those, I always, I always get to kick out of some of the facts you share with me. Uh, all right, Tom, I appreciate it, my friend. We'll talk to you again one. next week. Thanks a lot. All right. We'll see Bye. how things go in New Hampshire. Talk to you later. Tom Scateri, national correspondent, Pentagon reporter, and poet extraordinaire here. And Steeler fan, too. Should want to mention Big that. Big time. Big time. 837, 23 till the hour. If your kids aren't going to school, would they go? If they stay home, would they go to school if you, they got paid? We'll talk about that coming up next on the Watchdog Morning Show. Good Tuesday morning, everyone. I'm Taylor Long with your 7 News headlines on this January the 23rd. 7 News is your local election headquarters. Last night, the top three Republican contenders for the Senate seat currently occupied by Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown presented their arguments to the electorate. They are Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose, Cleveland businessman Bernie Marino, and State Senator Matt Dolan. The debate centered on several of the most hot-button issues, including the U.S. southern border, abortion, transgender issues, former President Trump, and more. Each candidate agreed that despite some alleged improved numbers, the state's economy remains poor for ordinary Ohioans. The primary election will take place on March 19th. We have more details on last night's debate over on WTRF.com. Looking across the mountain state, four counties in West Virginia have now united for a collaborative economic development initiative. Newcore Steel got the ball rolling two years ago when it announced a new big plant in Mason County. Berkshire Hathaway Energy then broke ground on expansive operations in Jackson County. Toyota is growing in Putnam County, and Marshall University is building a huge cybersecurity lab in Cabell County. With a lot of growth coming to all four of those counties, they have created REACT, which stands for Regional Economic Alliance of Counties Together. The most pressing concern right now is maintenance and expansion of Route 2, which affects all four counties. They promise to work with the legislature and Division of Highways to make that happen. Those seeking new employment this year might face stiffer competition than in previous years. According to a recent LinkedIn survey, 85% of employees are contemplating a job change in 2024, making a 27% rise from the previous year. But the job market is highly competitive. The study finds just one job opening for every two applicants. That was a look at your headlines. Have a terrific Tuesday. I'm Taylor Long, working for you. The Mountaineers look to knock off the Knights in their first ever Big 12 encounter. Hi everybody, I'm Tony Caridi. That story coming up on today's Mountaineer Report brought to us by Kroger, the official grocer of WVU Athletics. With the Kroger app, shopping online with pickup and delivery is the same as shopping in-store. Same low prices, same personalized deals, same rewards on the same high-quality items like Honeycrisp apples and pasta sauce with no hidden fees or markups.
It's one small click for groceries, one big win for busy families everywhere. Start your cart today at Kroger.com. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Kroger always gives you savings and rewards on top of our lower than low prices. And when you download the Kroger app, you can enjoy over $500 in savings every week with digital coupons. Plus, you can earn fuel points to save up to $1 per gallon at the pump. And with a Boost membership, you'll save even more with double fuel points and free delivery. So you can always save big every day with our savings and rewards. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It's game day here in Orlando for the Mountaineer basketball team as West Virginia tries to use that positive momentum gained in last Saturday's victory over Kansas to score a road win here against the Knights. This is just the second meeting between the two schools and, of course, it's the first ever meeting between the two teams in the Big 12. UCF enters the game with an 11-6 overall record. They are 2-3 in league play. Head coach Johnny Dawkins, now in his eighth season at UCF, has his team out to an 11 and 6 record. They're 8 and 3 in true home games, 1 and 3 on the road and 2 and 0 in games played on a neutral floor. They had a rather bizarre game back on Saturday against the University of Houston in Houston and we all saw firsthand earlier this month how good Houston's defense can be especially at home. Well, it was superb on Saturday against UCF. Cougars hold UCF to just 42 total points and just 14 in the first half. Think about this. UCF only scored seven field goals the entire game. They had four threes and three twos, which means they scored more points at the free throw line than they did from the field in the entire game. As for West Virginia, well, as said, West Virginia will try to continue to use that positive mojo they gain in that victory over Kansas back on Saturday. Our pregame coverage tonight begins at 6. Our opening tip set to go at 7. It's West Virginia and UCF. And after this one, the Mountaineers again on the road Saturday to play Oklahoma State. That is today's Mountaineer Report brought to us by Kroger, the official grocer of WVU Athletics. I'm Tony Caridi on the Mountaineer Sports Network from Learfield. Toyota's national sales event is on, making now the best time to save big at your Toyota dealer. With available APR financing as low as 1.9% on select new 2022 fuel-efficient Camrys, Corollas, RAV4s, and Highlanders. Or go off-road in a rugged Tacoma or Tundra, also with low financing available to qualified buyers. Visit buyatoyota.com for more. Not all buyers will qualify for special APR financing from Toyota. See your dealer for details. Hurry. Toyota's national sales event ends September 6th. Toyota, let's go places. Judge Ron Wilson was born and raised his family here in West Virginia. He is the most experienced judge in our mountain state. During his years serving the citizens of Hancock, Brook, and Ohio counties, Judge Wilson was selected to sit on the Supreme Court, was voted Judge of the Year, and was selected in 2023 for judicial excellence. Let's keep Judge Ron Wilson. I'm Judge Ron Wilson, and I respectfully ask for your vote. Paid for by the committee to keep Ron Wilson judge. Live from the Robinson Auto Group Studios in the heart of the Ohio Valley, this is the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe. i
I just feel I, I, I feel weird giving you these temperatures because I'm so used to saying it's eight, you know, or it's negative nine feels good or something like we had much of last week. 38 degrees. Uh, I mean, that's like a heat wave. 38 degrees, Wheeling, Ohio County Airport, 35 at the Highlands, 34. No, excuse me, 32 in Elm Grove and 34 here still, sir. Uh, we're going back and forth, Howard. Yes, 34. 34 degrees here at the Watchdog Radio Network Studios. Mostly cloudy today, high of 43. Rain is the word of the day every day this week. Temperatures will rise a little bit by the midweek. We'll be in the mid-50s, which is just such a change from where we were uh, last week. 845 on the Watchdog Morning Show. Every school district probably in America has a problem with absenteeism, with kids not coming to school when they should Although I saw some numbers from Ohio this week that just absolutely amazed me. Um, it's always been a problem, Bob. You know, back in our day when you and I were in school and, uh, and John Nanny was the attendance guy, he would, in Ohio County schools, he would, if somebody wasn't in school, he'd knock on the door, make some phone calls. What you doing here? You know, try and round you up and bring you into school. But these numbers are amazing. And so they're talking about doing something about that in Ohio. I invited Susan Tebbin, our old friend from the Ohio Capital Journal, to come join us because she reported on this. Susan, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So um, these numbers, I'm looking at the article you wrote about this in the Ohio Capital Journal. The the numbers of students who are absent, and we're talking about chronic absenteeism. We're not talking about somebody who gets the sniffles for a couple of days and is gone. We're talking about uh, chronic absenteeism. These numbers are amazing to me. Yeah, yeah. So for for people that don't know, chronic absenteeism in Ohio and, and around the country is considered when you're gone for 10% of a school year for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, a sickness, whether it's, you know, you know, whatever reason you have for leaving, if you're gone for 10% of it or more of a school year, that's considered chronically absent. And, you know, we've had the COVID-19, obviously the pandemic really didn't help that situation, but right. we had uh, that problem way before that. And it was just exacerbated by the pandemic, too. So we've got now 31% chronic absenteeism. Um, from people who are starting their freshman year of high school, even. So let me just make sure I get that right. So in Ohio, we are looking at an average of about, I say it's about, about a third of the students are absent 10% or more of the time. Right, yeah. When I, you're talking about fresh high school freshmen, when yeah. they're just starting out their high school career, trying to get you know get to know what they're going to do and talk about college and things, and we have those people you know, missing a critical time in their lives. Bob, you know, people criticize you and I being the old guys talk on the radio, but what was absenteeism like when you were in school? I mean, I remember, I, I can't, it was not a third of the students didn't come. Well, you talked to Frank Blake. I was the reason those numbers were so high at William Park High School. <laughs> you were there. He used to know. But I mean, I, these, before we talk about the potential solutions, Susan, is there discussion or talk or does the Ohio Department of Education or anybody else speculate why these numbers are so high now? Well, there is, there's a lot of different reasons that they think that this is happening, but a lot of the arguments and a lot of the talk is we have tried so many different things and we can't understand why we can't bring these numbers back down. Um, so, you, you know, you have chronically absent for, you know, you can have behavioral reasons, you can have long-term sickness, you can have things like that, but you also have 
there are some areas of Ohio where you have poverty, where there's kids who need to have jobs, who need to support families. And, you know, those may not be things we talked about 20 years ago when I was in school and you all were in school however long ago. You know, that may not have been such a thing, but, you know, you have uh, demographics, you have, um, you know, minority groups that are more on this list because they have more issues that they need to deal with. And there's poverty issues all over the state that, you know, sometimes it means kids might skip school because they have to make money for the household. And and that, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Again, there are some, I'm sure, that are chronically absent because they have a long-term illness. There are some that are uh, that have you know some, some specific reasons, but the the uh, the I, I, I'm thinking that there's a lot of culture involved in this. You know, it used to be, God, Susan, I'm sorry, I, I always like an old guy anymore. <laughs> <But> <laughs> it used to be that the culture said you go to school. The abnorm yeah. was to stay home. It seems to me there's somewhat of a change in the overall culture now that that is not as big a mandate in many people's lives as it used to be. Yeah, you know what? I had a I had a best friend in high school who refused, even when she was sick as a dog, she'd come to school because she wanted that 100%, you know, school attendance thing. And, you know, that wasn't exactly looked at as normal right. either. But, uh, you know, it's it's there is an element of privilege, too. In some of these cases where, you know, we were all able to go to school because that's what our parents told us to do. That's how we were raised. Education was a focus. And we didn't also have to fill in for any household income or any of that sort of thing. We didn't have any um, issues with maybe, you know, family issues of drug addiction or poverty or any of that stuff. So there is an element of that that maybe things have changed a little bit. In a, ba- in a negative direction to where there are other needs that come before school in some cases. And and I am really wildly speculating here, and I don't like to be that kind of guy, but um, I, I suspect that there are more kids today who are having to fend for themselves because uh, parents are either facing addiction or some other problems of their own uh, or are working so hard to make the family, you know, keep the family together that the kids have to handle things for themselves, and sometimes they just can't get up and can't get going. I don't know if that's the case, but I'm just picturing that. That seems to me probably part of the change in our culture these days. Yeah, that's definitely been something that's been noted as, as maybe one of the reasons that we see these absentees. Like, you know, we have families who some of the kids become surrogate parents, and you know, we have costs of living that are so high and you know, inflation rates and things like that that are causing parents to have to work so hard that they may not be able to take care of their kids, and they're looking to older kids to be able to do that. And, you know, it's only so much you can do to say, no, Mom, I have to go to school um, to a certain point. The uh, When we get the numbers that you're talking about, you know, 30, 31%, I think you said, of freshmen uh, chronically absent. Yeah. These this this becomes a problem. I mean, it's it's one thing if there are a handful of kids who don't come to school, but when you have almost a third of your uh, of your school pop school age population, high school school age, not showing up on a on a regular basis, um, that that creates a, a very serious problem for them for their education, and that means for sending out less educated people into society. My point is, it is a problem. Uh, they've tried all kinds of things. I remember when my youngest son was young, he was this close to having perfect attendance. You mentioned that earlier. You know, he always had perfect yeah. attendance. All he got was a, t- a certificate for it. But, man, the, the last, like, two or three weeks of school, he he worked hard to make sure he was there every single day because he got that certificate. I don't think certificates mm-hmm. work much anymore, do they? 
No, and we had some legislators who were trying to work on this who were saying, you know, we've tried pizza days, we've tried, you know, dress down days, theme days, all these sorts of things to bring, you know, playground hours to, to get these kids to come in and, you know, make it an incentive for them to come in and enjoy school and be able to come to school. I mean, because you, you on the other side of things, well, you have those freshmen at 31%, you've got kindergartners at 11% yeah. chronically absent. And we know, you know, just from looking at how education happens that if kindergartners are losing 10% of their schooling, that's a lot of learning and a lot of developing that's not happening in the school. So, yeah, they're trying a lot of different things, and honestly they're saying, We've tried a lot of things, and a lot of things haven't worked. So now they're talking about paying them. Yep. Now we're talking about maybe giving them a wage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. it, it, I want to set up the background for all of this because it sounds, it, on the surface of it, it almost sounds silly, paying kids to come to school. But, but we begin to see the potential problems that are there. We see the numbers that, aren't, that are chronically absent. You recognize it as a problem. Got to do something, so maybe that's not as outlandish. Now, there's nothing passed, but there are a couple of proposals that are in the legislature already, correct? Right, yeah. And if you're talking about maybe some kids that need money, extra money, to be able to work, uh, to be able to go to school and live, this might be something that they look at and it might be incentivized. So, yeah, we have – it's actually a bipartisan agreement, which in Ohio we don't see a whole lot lately. No. Um, but it's <laughs> it's a bill that's in the House that uh, they're talking about. It's a pilot program, so we're just starting this out, trying, seeing. They've seen this in other countries like Brazil. Um, that have tried this and seen some success. So they're looking at two years, uh, $1.5 million over the two years for qualified school districts have to apply, uh, and they have to meet certain requirements, um, namely the absentee rates. Um, and then you're looking at the schools can distribute to the kids in these qualifying districts uh, $25 biweekly or $150 quarterly or even uh, $500 a year to these students to try to get them in the school. And, you know, there's also a second part of that program would be a base award for graduating students who qualify. And then if your GPA is above a certain amount, you can get an extra, you know, pot of money. So this is something they're trying to, you know, say, yes, you need to be in school. Yes, we have truancy laws and <laughs> things like that. But we're not seeing the results that we need to see, so maybe we need to do something else. I, I, I can picture the text I'll probably get, you know, what well, paying people to do what they're supposed to do anyways is a bad thing. I can picture that philosophy that some people will be saying. Um, but if we look at this from the perspective that you brought up earlier, that part of the reason some of these kids may not be going to school is because they have to be, you know, working a little more or providing for the family. $25 a week may not be a much, much, but it may be something. It may It's more than just an incentive. It may actually be helpful to overcome the, the problem that's keeping them home. Yeah, so that's kind of the, the uh, argument that the supporters of this or the, the creators of this bill made, which was, you know, it's not, uh, you know, it's not going to pay the bills, but it might, you know, they might want a video game um, that they can't afford right now, or they might have something that they want that they're saying, well, if I just go to school, then I can get this and and then have something else on the on the side that I might not have otherwise been able to do that. But yeah, you do have. Uh, we had some critics on the education committee, uh, Republican uh, state reps, that were saying, you know, we're 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 talking about paying people to follow the law. Does that go into long term effects of Are we going to start paying rapists not to rape? 
and things like that. So you definitely have um, both sides of the coin saying, you know, it's it's not that we're making this, uh, you know, a, a market or anything. We're just not making a school a career or anything. What we're doing is just trying to get the kids in school. So. So it is bipartisan in that you there are there's at least and a Democrat and a Republican proposing this. I'm not sure how many are signed on to this. Um, uh, what's the likelihood of something like this uh, passing? You know, uh, better than you know the nonpartisan ones, okay. <laughs> the nonpartisan <laughs> ones. Obviously, um, we have State Rep Bill Sites is one of the leaders of this, and he's he's a pretty. Um, you know, influential guy in the House. Um, he's been around forever, and he's also on his way out. So um, I'm sure he's motivated to try to get this to work. He's uh, uh, He's got pr- pretty good pull with the supermajority that we have here. Um, and I, I think it does help that it's bipartisan. You know, that makes Democrats more willing to work and more willing to say, you know, this might be a good thing. But also, you're just looking at the content of this bill and saying, we just want to get kids in school. We've tried these other things. Um, let's just try this. It's a pilot program. If it doesn't work in two years, we get rid of it. Uh, If it does, we probably will have money from, um, we have some dropout pretension uh, schools that we have. And if we don't need those, then we can use the money from those to be able to work this program. So, you know, it seems like something that could have a lot of support from both sides. And as a pilot program, and I, people will laugh when I say, you know, one and a half million dollars in the total budget, not that gigantic a deal as a pilot program. It, um, uh, it's it's. I hate to say it this way. It's worth a shot. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what the sponsors are saying. You know, we, we've we've tried these other things. Let's try this and see what happens. And mm. and you know that that could be a good way to go because you know as you say, one and a half million dollars in the grand scheme of things isn't a whole lot um, over two years, especially. I. Um Appreciate your time for this, Susan. Good story. People can read it at the Ohio Capital Journal. I, I wanted to take some time, but I don't have time now to talk about some other stories you've written recently, um, including age-based pay discrimination. Does that mean old folks aren't getting paid right? <laughs> that means young folks, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh-huh. so uh, what this national study found was there's uh, what's called a sub-minimum wage, which is what people that are you know below the age that they qualify for the minimum wage uh, that are still working, they, they get a certain rate. And uh, that's considered age-based discrimination based on what they're paying people in Ohio. People can read more about it at the theohiocapitaljournal.com. Hey, I appreciate your time, as always. Good conversation, Susan. Always appreciate having you on. I thank you for answering my call when I place it to you. Yeah, happy always to come back. All right, talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. Right. Susan. Bye-bye. Susan Tebbin, Ohio Capital Journal, one of her uh, compadres, compadres uh, Nick Evans, has been covering the U.S. Senate race in Ohio. And the Republicans gathered last night and had a debate. He watched it. He reported on it. He's here with us uh, in the next hour to talk about it. Coming up here on the Watchdog Morning Show where it's 9 o'clock. Oh, won't you smile a while for me, Sarah? WKKX Wheeling, FM 97.7, AM 1370, WVLY Moundsville.